again. It is good to be together. It is good to see you all. I am thankful that we can be together. If this is your first time here, uh, again, I'm going to welcome you, but I also want to let you know that uh, uh, we at Southside Baptist Church faithfully walk through the Bible together. And so we have been walking for some time now through 1 Corinthians. Uh, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you have been reading ahead, you are probably wondering how are we going to find some encouragement out of our passage today? And so I want to encourage you to stick with me, to read along. Let's be encouraged together. And then let's know that as God's people, we are called to be a people of the book. We are called to be a people who know the Word of God, uh, begin to understand the Word of God so that we can grow in our own personal holiness. And so that has been our study as we've been walking together through 1 Corinthians, seeing Paul calling the Corinthian Christians to holiness both the calling to holiness, but also the challenge uh, to growing in our own personal holiness and sanctification. So uh, before we dive into our text, I was uh, reading ahead and uh, just kind of remembered um, just some stuff in my own life. You see, in 2004, um, I found myself immersed in the world of academia. I had just recently graduated uh, from college from the University of Georgia. I was starting my career as a seminary student, and I was on my way uh, to becoming a pastor wherever the Lord was going to lead and guide at that point. And I was overjoyed uh, to be at this moment in my life because um, we were studying the Bible collectively and individually and faithfully together. Um, I was reading good books, things that you actually enjoy, unlike when you're in middle school and high school and your teachers assign you books and you're like, this is bad, but you have to read it anyway. Uh, we were reading good things uh, seminary was also a time where I met my wife, and so that was incredible uh, to have that happen. Um, but then on top of that, what was also uh, incredible as well was I actually enjoyed going to our school library. Um, like I tried to make it a point in college not to attend the library as much as possible. That didn't work out. And then when I got to seminary and saw the, the goodness that come from a, a school library, I mean, I was just blown away and impressed uh, just by the amount of stuff and the resources that were at our fingertips. And so as a seminary student, I was soaking in really this whole process. And it was just incredible and incredibly encouraging to be around other young pastors and young missionaries um, who were sharing in the same passions on the similar journey. And it was during this time that I actually took a course with a, a particular professor who I didn't know at the time, but over the next several years would really have a profound impact on my life. You see, at the at the beginning of this particular course that he was teaching, uh, he taught us on the importance of the parental relationship and uh, the importance of the marriage relationship and how it has an impact on children today, and particularly the spiritual growth of a child. And so we sat in a class, and our professor asked us to all stand up, and this is what he did. He drew an imaginary line from one side of the room to the other, and this is what he did. He said, on this particular side, I want you to go and stand if your parents remain faithfully together in marriage. Go stand on this side if, you're, if your parents were faithful to one another and they had faithfully committed not only to one another, but also committed to the local church. He said, now on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, stand here if you grew up in a broken home. Stand here if you, if you grew up in a home that had been shattered by divorce or shattered by neglect or, or even shattered itself by abuse. And so each student stood and we began to make our way to one side of the room or the other, depending on where we fell on this imaginary line. I want to tell you, we had a full class that day. A full class for us was 40 students. 
And here's what happened. Out of the 40 students, 38 of them moved to the side of the married home where church was prioritized and parents' relationship was strong. And their marriages were even stronger. Our professor said to that side of the room, this is the profound impact of a home that selflessly serves out of love for one another because two parents, a husband and wife, understood Christ's love and sacrifice for them. You are now the effect of that commitment. On the other side of the room, there were two of us, myself and another classmate. We stood alone on the other side of the room. He looked at us and said these words. You are the result of the grace of God. When the world breaks apart, what God has brought together. You are here today by grace. And you are a result of the fact that nothing can ever thwart the plan of God. So rest in that grace. We attempted to have class after that. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think in the history of my school, from kindergarten all the way up through seminary, I've ever wept after attending class like I did that day. You see, I realized more clearly than ever at that moment that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world with broken relationships, and yet God can take those broken relationships and make them a beautiful mosaic. He can turn brokenness into a beautiful picture. Why? Because God's plan will never fail. And yet, sadly, in our own society, one of the easiest things to break is the nuclear family. Sadly, in our society today, one of the easiest things to break is the marriage that exists between a husband and a wife. And so this is where we find Paul in our text this morning. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, Paul picks up where he left off in talking about marriage. You see, by this point, Paul had, had already seen and heard how, how quickly marriages within the church were beginning to dissolve. And so he sought to remind the Corinthian Christians that as those called to holiness, we need to accept the challenge of maintaining the sacredness and the sanctity of the marriage. And so Paul will also answer the question in the text, what happens when the marriage falls apart? What happens when the marriage is broken? So let's just go ahead and jump into our text this morning. And, and what I want us to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, is where we today, along with the Corinthian Christians, can find grace in a broken marriage. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We will begin reading in verse 10. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, he writes, beginning in verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, just to kind of set our scene for what's going on here, Paul now turns his attention solely to the married couple, and particularly matters of marriage and matters of divorce. And so we want to handle this conversation this morning both carefully and gracefully. However, before we jump into our text, I want us to understand that whether you're here today as a married couple or whether you're here today as a single who is now praying for your future marriages, please understand that this is a good word for all of us this morning. You see, this is a good word on the the covenant commitment that a couple makes together or will make together, and it's a good reminder of the grace needed in order to make a marriage last. You see, Paul gives these instructions because divorce had become a common reality in the Greco-Roman world, and it had become a common reality amongst Jewish culture as well. So Paul's going to first address what it is that Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce, and then he's going to pick up on the topic again on what should be done when you find yourself married to a non-believer. And as he says to us, these are his words this morning as well. Now, as we again review this text, we'll also see how Paul will address other issues on marriage and, all, and other issues on divorce that, that we need to, be, uh, to see that they need to be handled with grace and care, which is quite the opposite of how churches have treated these issues historically before. So what I want us to do is I want us to dive back into this text, and I want us to see three specific truths that we can see in finding grace in a broken marriage. Our first truth is found in verses 10 and 11, and that is this. God created marriage to be a beautiful covenant. I want to say it again. God created marriage to be a beautiful covenant. Notice in verse 10 that Paul opens by saying, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. Now Paul actually issues a command here. However, this command is not coming from him, but rather it is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, Paul would would literally say these words, listen, what I'm now saying to you is what Jesus has taught us on marriage and on divorce. And so Paul is referencing us back to Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus teaches on marriage and where Jesus teaches on divorce. And so Paul says, in light of the teaching of Jesus Christ, in the text, the wife should not separate from her husband. 
Now, this word separate that we see in our Bible that Paul uses actually and literally means divorce. Thus, Paul is calling for married couples to stay together and not separate. Paul then considers what should happen if a husband and a wife do divorce. Look at verse 11. He says, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Notice what Paul is saying in his own words. He literally is saying, you should not divorce believers. And if you do, then you should remain unmarried and seek to be reconciled to your spouse. In other words, Paul says this, work it out. Now again, this seems harsh, especially if you've, you've had to walk this road of divorce before. But let's understand a little bit more about what Paul is talking about in context. You see, Paul, in speaking of divorce this way, is speaking specifically to those who unjustifiably separated from their spouse. In other words, Paul in this moment is is speaking to those who treat marriage as if it were an article of clothing. It's nice for a while, but then when you get tired of it, or it gets old, or it gets torn, or it goes out of style, you can just toss it out. And yet Paul teaches that marriage is not something to be taken lightly. Marriage is not a flippant relationship that should should ever be taken lightly. You see, for Paul, he teaches in this moment to the Corinthian Christians that they cannot treat their marriages like we would treat a car today when we would just want to trade it in because we're not happy. Which, by the way, I don't know anybody who's doing that right now because cars are so expensive. Guess what? So is your spouse. They're expensive. Why would you want to do that? But looking at the Bible, going back to Genesis chapter 2, we see the the sanctity of marriage. What what God has created in verse 24 of Genesis 2, God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, for the Corinthian Christians, too many of them were just dumping their spouses for no reason. And Paul was reminding them of the covenant that they had now made to one another. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are now in no position to rip apart what God has given to us and called beautiful. So, if our initial thought as believers is this, for no other reason other than I'm just done, for no other reason other than I'm just tired of this person that I'm living with, for no other reason than I just want to trade this person in for a better model, Paul says that you have now forgotten the beauty of what God has drawn together in a covenant relationship. Married couples in the room, do not take for granted the beautiful gift of grace that God has given you in your marriage. And if you find yourself looking for an out, if you find yourself looking for a a reason, if you find yourself looking for an excuse to get out of your marriage for no other reason than you're just bored, then ask yourself this question. What have I done to bring my marriage to this point? What have I done 
to begin to break what God has brought together. Figure it out and fix it because God does not want you to flippantly throw away the beautiful gift that he has given you. Remember, your marriage was given to you by God. Your marriage was given to you as a beautiful covenant. If we want to find grace in what's broken and what's being broken, we have to remember that what God gave in marriage, He created and He gave as a beautiful covenant reminder of who He is. But there's a second truth I want us to see this morning as well. And that's found in verses 12 through 16. Paul teaches this second truth. And that is this. Sometimes marriage is messy. I mean, let's be honest. It really is just messy. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. It says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now notice how Paul opens by saying, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Now, the rest that Paul is referring to would be those Corinthian Christians who had now married spouses and they had probably come to faith themselves, but yet their, their spouses were not believers at this point. And so here's what Paul goes on to say. He says that these are his thoughts. He is, he is building upon what Jesus has already taught, but he's not just making this stuff up. Rather, this is, this is all built upon the truth of the Word of God. But it's still his thoughts nonetheless. And so here's what Paul teaches. He teaches that the believer should now remain married to the non-believer. Now, to understand Paul's point here, we need to understand the context of why Paul was writing this way. You see, there were several amongst the, the Corinthian Christians who in their, their quest to be overly self-disciplined, remember we talked about this a week ago, in their quest to be overly self-disciplined, they believed and taught that if one now belonged to Jesus, they were now set apart and thus it was right for them to divorce their spouses who had not yet come to faith in order to be a holy people. Now again, this is this is similar to what we talked about in the, in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 a week ago when the believers would abstain from their spouse and they would ultimately justify it because of their newfound faith in God. And chances are, here's what was happening amongst the Corinthian Christians. They were beginning to, to maybe misinterpret passages that we see in Ezra chapter 10 and in Nehemiah chapter 13 where the people are called to now separate themselves from those who do not believe in God. And so here's what they were doing. They were literally saying, hey, I've now come to this newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Spouse, you need to as well. Spouse might have said, I need time to think about it. And they said, well, I need to be holy. You're out. And that's how they were treating their marriages. But here's what Paul teaches the Corinthian Christians. He says, stay in the commitment that you have made with your spouse. He says, if your spouse consents to stay with you, then you should remain with them. And then notice what happens in the text. Paul gives the reason as to why they should remain together, even if their faith is now not the same. Verse 14, he says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. 
And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now let's just pause here and, and take note of what we also talked about last week. Notice how Paul continues this language of mutuality that exists between a husband and a wife. And so literally, he gives the wife this, this same status as the husband, which really would have been unheard of in Paul's day, particularly in Greco-Roman times and Jewish times, where the man was, was just dominant over the woman. Now again... There are those today who will come to us as Christians and say to us that I will not come to faith in Christ because the Bible itself downplays the role of women. And yet here we have a clear example of the man and the woman being called to be together. And yes, they're called to be equal. They're called to be partners in a marriage. Now looking at our text Here's where Paul recognizes where the Corinthian Christians are concerned more about being defiled if they are married to a non-Christian, almost like that illustration that we often see and hear of where it's easier to drag someone down than it is to, to lift them up. And in this moment, Paul says when it comes to that marriage, particularly the marriage with the unbeliever and they still consent with you, he says actually the opposite is true. Because in being with them and living out your faith, they could be made holy. Now let's pay attention to what Paul is saying here because Paul literally sees how the holiness of the believer can transform the hearts and the beliefs of the non-believer so that that spouse becomes a believer and therefore becomes holy. In other words, Paul says, listen, since you have come to faith and, and they have not come to faith, your marriage and, and your union is, is not defiled, but rather it's, it's still a union that is sacred. It's still a union that is beautiful. This is actually similar to what Jesus teaches us when he cleanses the leper in Matthew chapter 8. You remember that story where the, the leper reaches out and, and touches Jesus. Now in that moment, the leper does not defile Jesus when he touches him, but rather it's the holiness of Jesus and his healing authority that now cleanses the leper. And so Paul says in this moment, the same is true in your marriage with the unbeliever. You see, your faith and your holiness can lead them to holiness as well. Notice the word can, not will. It still depends upon the grace and the sovereignty of God. However, what Paul teaches is this, is in that marriage where one is a believer and one is not, you, as the believer, are not defiled. So no, Corinthian Christians, do not divorce them simply because they don't believe. Now, as a footnote, this passage does not mean that you should go out as a single and marry a non-believer. Look, if you go, Paul finishes his story, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He comes back to this point, and what does he say there? He says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, recognize this. Don't marry someone thinking you can change them. Okay, ladies in the room, we all understand your future spouse or your husbands are fixer-uppers. But you're not going to fix everything about them. They're not going to turn out perfect. Ask a couple who's been together for, for 15, 18, 20, 24, 25, 30 years. They will tell you there are some things that comes to your marriage that that person will change for the better, but the reality is much of what you hope to change may not change because that's who they are. Ask my wife. 
She's still working through it. I'm just not listening well. You see, in this particular context, Paul is again speaking to those who are already married. He says to the married spouse, you're now, you have this newfound faith in Christ. This is good. But now you need to practice grace. Now you can't all of a sudden say, well, now that I have this faith and you don't, I'm out. No, Paul says you need to live out your faith. Don't simply divorce them, especially if they will have you, but rather live out the gospel in that commitment that you have made because in grace, according to the will of God, you and your example and your words may lead them to faith one day. So don't give up. Coming back to the text, Paul continues and says, otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now again, notice the concern of the Corinthian Christians. You had a married spouse and an unmarried spouse and they were, had been together and now they had children and now all of a sudden they were asking the question of, because this person is a non-believer, am I now defiled? But not only am I defiled, but now are my, are my kids defiled as well? Did I make a mistake at having children? But Paul teaches here that the Corinthian Christians who, who are now married to non-believers and now have children, he says to them, listen, your children are not defiled because of your union, but rather your children are holy. Your children are pleasing to God. God did not make a mistake. So I'm sorry, Planned Parenthood. No, kids are not a mistake. Now some, as a footnote, have used this particular passage to justify infant baptism. But that would be taking this passage way out of context. You see, if this were true and would justify infant baptism, then it would also be true that the unbelieving spouse was now sanctified as well because one person in the home had already come to faith. And that is just not the case. In other words, we're not going to stand in glory before Jesus a non-believer stand in glory before Jesus and say, I never came to faith, but it's okay, my husband did. Or I never came to faith, but it's okay, my wife did. Or I never came to faith, but it's okay because three out of my four of my children did. That's not how justification, that's not how sanctification, that's not how God works. And that is not the case. But coming back to our text, here's, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this, look, there is nothing wrong with your kids. There's nothing wrong with your children because they were born into a relationship where a couple is unequally yoked in faith. No, God doesn't make mistakes. Just as God has a plan for your marriage, which may be messy in this moment, He also has a plan for your children. So if anything, continue to lead them in faith and show them the example of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ today, I don't know where you're at in your marriage right now, but your marriage may be messy. But don't give up. Your marriage may be messy, but it's not defiling you. Your marriage may be messy, but your children are not. Your kids are not a mistake. They are a blessing from the Lord and should be treated as such. Now, coming back to our text, Paul now gets into the mess of a marriage when one spouse is a believer and the other is not. He says in verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, then let it be so. 
Now here Paul envisions a messy scenario where the unbelieving spouse wishes to divorce. And here's what Paul says. He says, okay, that's fine. Because this is an instance where the marriage may not be able to be preserved at all costs since the couple is coming from two different views of marriage. Paul goes on to say, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. In other words, Paul is now saying that the believer in this instance is no longer obligated or bound to fulfill their marital promises if the non-believing partner wishes to leave. In fact, Paul says this, according to God, God has called you to peace. So listen, faith family, if divorce is the desire of the non-believing spouse, then the Christian should not go through the rest of their lives worried about broken vows. They should not go through the rest of their lives worrying about rescuing their marriage if the spouse refuses to remain. We're going to get more on this in a moment. But notice what Paul's doing in this particular moment. Paul now reminds the believer to be content in who the Lord is to be content in the grace and the peace that can be found even when the marriage gets messy and the unbelieving spouse chooses to go. God is still in control even when it seems that our lives have turned into a mess. And then we get verse 16. And here Paul says, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now Paul here asks a rhetorical question in order to remind the Corinthian Christians of his main point. And that is this. Believers should not flee their marriage if they have joined together, even if they have joined together with a non-Christian. Because as we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, God may use this very moment to bring your spouse to faith so you continue proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel for that spouse who does not believe. So you see, when it comes to a marriage that is messy, especially if we find ourselves in a marriage with a non-believing spouse, we should not use their lack of faith as our excuse to opt out of the marriage. We don't get that choice. Because the reality is, who knows how God may use that marriage. And if you're here today and and you're single, you need to hear these words and be challenged and encouraged to look for someone who shares your faith with you because it's that common faith that will help you get through the messiness that can become a marriage. Brothers and sisters, marriages can be messy. And divorce, and even in some instances, even when the unbelieving spouse just leaves and some other issues that we're going to get into in a moment, there are going to be some instances where that messiness leads to divorce and then remarriage happens, and guess what? That's okay. Paul says, man, you were called to peace. Go in peace. Don't just, don't just divorce unjustifiably. Don't just divorce because you feel like it. Don't just divorce because you're treating your, your marriage like you treat a pair of socks. No. You're called to peace. Go in peace. And if that unbelieving spouse leaves, then you continue in peace. Marriage is messy. But here's the reality. Paul says there's a much bigger issue that needs to be explored. And that leads us to our third truth this morning. 
And our third truth is actually found in Matthew 19 and its entire context and, and 1 Corinthians 7, going all the way back to verse 1, all the way to where we are in verse 16. And that truth is this, in a fallen world, marriages will break. At this point, some would say, Pastor, you're talking a lot about marriage and a lot about divorce, but you don't know my past. You don't know what my last marriage was like. You don't know what I went through. And I want to tell you something. You're right. I don't know. But I want to say this to you. I am sorry for the pain that has been caused to you. So if you would, for a few more moments, allow me in grace to address what we should do as believers when a marriage breaks. So what do we do when the marriage falls apart? What do we do when when the covenant has been broken? What do we do when marriages break? How do we respond? Is divorce even okay? And if so, when? I think one of our first answers is found in Matthew chapter 19. And that is this. Jesus teaches us that he does permit divorce. He teaches in verse 9 that divorce is okay when it comes to sexual immorality. Now I want you to understand something. This is not Jesus in Matthew 19 giving an out for the sake of giving an out. I want you to understand that Jesus hates divorce. Jesus doesn't like for any covenant that's been made between two people before the eyes of God to ever be broken. Why? Because we serve a faithful God, a God who has never broken promise, a God who has never broken covenant, a God who is always faithful, and he desires that for his people. However, if you go back and read Matthew chapter 19, you get to verse 8. Here's what Jesus realizes. And he doesn't just realize it like all of a sudden hit him like an epiphany. He knew this already. Verse 8, he, he tells us that because of the hardness of the hearts of people, sin will happen. And unfortunately, as a result of that sin, divorce may be unavoidable. And so Jesus teaches that when a spouse has had an affair Divorce is an option because the the covenant has been broken. Now, hear me on this, please. I believe that God would love nothing more than to see a couple repent and work through that issue and ultimately see a marriage restored. That can happen. It has happened. It can be done. I have seen and walked through with many couples on this particular road together only to come out stronger on the other side. And through grace, they have been faithfully restored to one another. Now again, this does not happen overnight. But with time, with healing, with conversations, with much prayer and grace, it can happen. And in those moments, we should be willing to forgive. However, affairs will happen. And unfortunately, the spouse who committed the affair may leave to pursue their own lusts. And nothing can be done with that. And so in that moment, Jesus teaches divorce may be the only option. But what he also teaches us is this is not the only place where a marriage can break. So where else do we see marriages breaking? Where else are the options for divorce? We'll go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in its entirety, and you'll see all the way through verse 16, there's an underlying issue here, and that is this. Divorce becomes an option when a spouse 
abandons their covenant promise. Now again, look at 1 Corinthians 7. We just talked a moment ago about uh, life with, with marriage with the unbeliever. And Paul says, if they choose to stay, then you stay. However, if they choose to go, then they go. But understand this, when Paul's, what Paul's saying in the subtext here, he's saying, look, if they choose to go, they're abandoning their covenant. They're abandoning the covenant that they made with you before the eyes of God. Whether or not they realize it, it is abandonment. And so if your, your spouse today, whether Christian or not, forces divorce upon you, then what they are doing is they are abandoning the covenant that they have made with you. And this is what Paul teaches. In this moment, divorce is okay. Now again, in both these cases, we see the okay for divorce. We see the okay for remarriage as an option because as Christians, the reality is this. We should not ever be the ones who are initiating divorce. However, if it happens, then these are the instances where remarriage is possible. But let me tell you something for those who have gone down this road and you have found yourself remarried. That is this, don't take lightly the covenant that you make. And if anything, in your new marriage, fight for a better marriage. Now I want to tread lightly because there's a third option as well. A third issue, if you will. We've talked about adultery, affair. We've talked about abandonment. But then often people have sat in my office and asked the question, what about abuse? And I want to speak very clearly, candidly, and gracefully about this issue because here is one where I think the church has actually gotten this one wrong. For too many years, I have sat and listen to pastors tell women, especially women, because this happens more often to women, that they should continue taking those physical beatings and stay married to lead their husbands to Christ. And I want to tell you a truth this morning. Although abuse is not mentioned in our text today, the Bible is extremely clear on matters of abuse. You see it in Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 22, Ephesians 5, Malachi 2, Titus 2, and Titus 3, and Hebrews 13, just to name a few chapters. Whether physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, or sexual, whatever abuse, if that is you today, I want you to understand something. God sees your pain. I want you to understand that God hates what you are going through. God hears your pain. He hears your cries in the night. And no spouse or child, for that matter, should ever have to endure the destructive, controlling, oppressive, and forceful domination of one spouse over another that would jeopardize the health or well-being of the marriage or the family. And so I don't, again, I don't assume anything about anyone in this room, but I want you to hear this. If this is you, and you are the one that is walking through abuse right now, please reach out to someone. Please Call someone. Call the church. Call an elder. We have counselors here that are ready to help. And we will get you the help that you need. But 
But let me say this, and I have learned over many years of ministry to not take your role for granted, but that is this. And again, I don't assume anything about anyone's marriage, but here it is. If you are the one who is doing the abusing in your marriage, hear me now. Repent. Repent immediately. Admit your sin. Beg for forgiveness from God. Beg for forgiveness from your spouse, from your kids who you are hurting, and pray that in grace they will forgive you. But it doesn't end there. Get the help that you need. You need accountability. You need counseling. And if you don't, judgment awaits you. And I want you to hear that God will not take you lightly. So why can we say this about abuse? Because abuse is abandonment. It's almost a subheading with abandonment. If a spouse is abusing their wife or their kids, then they are no longer faithfully living out the commitment of marriage as prescribed in Colossians 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. And therefore, they have now abandoned their role in the relationship. And so, yes, even abuse is grounds for divorce. So again, let me say to you, if, if abuse has been in your history, if, if, if an affair and adultery has been in your, your history, if, a, if abandonment is, is in your history and you've been down this road before, then let me say to you in grace, Romans 8, 38 and 39, for nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me if you've been down this road. You may struggle because of what you've gone through. You may struggle with who now to trust. You may struggle with who now to believe. And I want you to know that you can always trust Jesus Christ. You see, in a world marred with broken marriages, because of adultery, because of abandonment, because of abuse, in streets where just shattered pieces of marriages have fallen. I want you to hear today that Jesus will never be unfaithful to you. So no matter what happens, no matter what has happened, Jesus will never forsake you because Jesus has promised to never forsake His bride. If you're hurting today, you are safe in Christ. If you are broken today, you are protected by His Word. And you are allowed to hurt and to struggle in this place because we, as your faith family, are here for you and we believe you. Man, I want us to understand that in this text this morning, Paul is very clear that loyalty and commitment in marriage are a huge priority for God. And they're a huge Priority, even in Paul's words to the Corinthian Christians. He shows us that divorce should never be taken lightly. Why? Because God created the gift of marriage and He called it beautiful. But at the same time, because of the hardness of heart, because of the fallen state of humanity, marriages can quickly become messy. We could even find ourselves being unequally yoked. And in that moment, Paul says, don't give up. 
but rather out of faith. Out of faith, live out your faith because you may lead your spouse to Jesus Christ as they remain committed to you. You remain committed to them and therefore commit yourself to Christ. Paul also teaches us that in marriages, the mess can then lead to brokenness. Again, we live in a fallen world where broken people are found everywhere. None of us are perfect. But in these moments in grace, Paul teaches, keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus because He will never abandon you. He will never abuse you. He will never forsake you. Trust in Him and then let's faithfully struggle together. So let me say this to you. Singles, if you're in the room, students on up, would you commit to praying for yourself? That if God lays marriage upon your heart as the desire of your heart, that He would begin preparing in you now to be a faithful spouse? Would you begin praying for your spouse as well? That they would remain faithful to the Word so that they could fulfill the commitments and the commands given in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, just to name two places, that they would grow into into mature, into becoming the spouses that you're going to need them to be? Pray that God would prepare you. Prepare you for a marriage that that honors Him in every aspect and every area of your life of every day. Pray that way now. And then take marriage seriously. To the married couples in the room, let me say this to you this morning. Love your spouse. Love them in a way that portrays the grace and the goodness of God. Love them in a way that that points them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today as a married couple and you're you're considering divorce, you're you're just bored, you're tired, you you just want out, you you feel like you're, you're just done with this nasty thing you're dealing with. Then remember the gospel. Remember the gospel and don't give up. Fight for your marriage. Don't initiate divorce without first seeking the word. If you have divorced before, and let's just assume that that divorce was for whatever reason, it was for unbiblical reasons. Then can I say to you in grace today, would you forgive yourself? Would you just forgive yourself? Seek the gospel if you've remarried by this point, then, then would you look at your, your own marriages now and, and would you make the Word of God the highest priority within your marriage, honoring God in the new covenant and honoring your spouse in a way that glorifies God? Maybe you're here today and you've been divorced before and you've been broken by it. And that divorce happened because of biblical reasons. Then would you do yourself a favor today? Would you allow... God to heal? Would you allow the walls to come down and allow the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do? Would you stay in the Word and allow your faith family to continue to provide and to care and to comfort you? Would you just be honest with yourself for a moment about the hurts that that you still experience, even if it was something that happened years ago? And in those moments, would you look to Jesus Because let me tell you something. Your story does not end in brokenness. You see, with Jesus, there was a crucifixion. There's a resurrection. 
There's an ascension. There's a hope that is to come. And one day, by grace, through faith, you will stand restored before Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul writes and gives a tough text for a tough time. And in a world filled with brokenness, broken relationships, broken marriages, my hope and my prayer is that as believers today, we can find grace in a broken marriage. And to God be the glory for the singleness that He has given. To God be the glory for the relationships that He has given to us. To God be the glory for the forgiveness and the healing that He offers. To God be the glory for the restoration that can take place and the hope that can now be found in Him. And to God be the glory for the beautiful covenant that He has called us to in marriage. May God and God alone be glorified as we seek to honor Him. Let's pray together.